The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's pray. Father, it is a wonderful thing to consider that we will see your Son face to face. That we will behold him with our physical eyes. He will come and he will claim us. We will see him and we will rejoice fully forever. We will inhabit the new heaven and the new earth where he is the light, where he shines through the whole place. And he fills us full in every way. This is a glorious reality, a glorious coming reality. And we say, along with the words in that song, I, we, can hardly wait. And we also acknowledge that we say that and make ourselves liars because we can plenty easily wait. We're kind of full of this world too. And our longing for the next one is not what it could be and not what it should be. And sometimes we go days and weeks and never think of his coming and never think of the next and never think of the new Jerusalem and are, are happy with the light that we have here. We can hardly wait and we can't wait. And in the middle of this, Lord, we find ourselves and, and what we are. We are new, but we are not holy, as in completely. We are not completely new. And so we ask you, would you make us more? Would you, would you complete, would you continue the changing? You have brought us to life. We are new creations, new creatures in Christ. But we are not yet what we will be. And so we pray, continue your work. And towards that end, would you use the topic that we're going to talk about this morning? Would you use fasting? And to help you use fasting, would you explain it to us in some newer and better way this morning from your word in this time? Lord, help us, shape us, and keep us from misunderstanding and from errant application and, and direct us into the path of what goodness you mean to deliver to us through this spiritual discipline, through this Fasting, Christian fasting. Help us to think about it rightly, to understand it, and, and to grow in it so that we would become a people who more can't wait and who in the waiting experience more of what you mean to give us, more of yourself. So teach us this morning. Father, would you commit to 
each person here some new depth of yourself. Deliver yourself to us this morning. Meet us where we are. We're in a bunch of different places. Would you meet us where we are and, and deliver another piece of yourself to us, an, an, a bit of growth, a bit of help, a bit of change. Meet your people. I pray that you would meet those here who are not your people, that you would even awaken those who do not know you, but would awaken in them a longing and a desire for you, and that you would reach out and open blind eyes and save even this morning. Father, would you do that? Would you build your kingdom, build your people here this morning? Commission your spirit now to move through this room to remove distraction off of us where there is sin that we need to confess. Draw us into confession even right now that, that any barrier, any distraction, any hindrance would be, would be removed. Would you help us with other distractions, physical, temporal distractions? Spirit of God, draw our attention to the Word of God, to God. Have your way with us. Shape and conform us. Give clarity to my words and build your church. That's what we ask you, Father. Would you build the church? Would you bring honor to your Son? Would you bless us in these ways? And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I said, we turn our attention this morning to a topic that arose last week as we looked at the end of Luke chapter 5. There, in this chapter, chapter 5, that addresses discipleship and growing controversy between Jesus and others, we saw some of those others come to Jesus and address him. The disciples of John, as well as the disciples of the Pharisees, they said, fast. Everybody fasts. Everybody except you and your disciples. Why? That's how Jesus treats it as, as a question. It's a statement, but he treats it as a legitimate question, and he answers it. And as we saw, he answers it in large part by pointing out the change in times that is going on even as they speak. The old ways have gone. They are obsolete. New ways have come, and the new is to be embraced completely and wholly. So out with the old, in with the new. And why that is, that, that out and in pivots on one point, the presence of Jesus. Jesus is already here. He has come as the bridegroom. Term he uses there, an important term. He grabs that idea, that imagery from the Old Testament, and Jesus claims, in so doing, claims to be the one who was longed for, who was prayed for, who was fasted for, the one bringing in the great day of God finally coming to join God to his people, wedding them to him. That day has finally come in me, the bridegroom. I'm the one who was to bring it, so we don't fast anymore for me to come. Look, I'm here. I've come to do that. We're, we're at the wedding. We don't fast longing for the wedding. We celebrate. However, this is the second point from last week. So he explains why it is that he's not fasting. He and his disciples are not fasting. But then, second point, rose in verse 35. The days will come 
when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then in those days they will fast. That was the second point from last week, and that's what's going to connect us to this week, to our, our topic for this week. As much as we celebrate the fact that God has already come in Christ and has already done much for us in Christ, we also realize that in these days Christ is gone. Yes, wonderfully present in his spirit in us, but not like he was present when he was physically here and not like he will be present when he physically returns. We now live in these days when Christ is absent in a real way. And so we long for his return. And until he comes, as we live still here in this fallen world and distance from him, we want more. And so we are discontent. We are celebrating and discontent both together as we live in between these times. That was last week, verses 33 to 39. As we talked about the main themes there in that paragraph, one thing, however, we didn't do, we didn't talk about fasting itself. Didn't say much about fasting in particular. Jesus, we said, assumes that we will fast. We didn't talk much about it. And as we consider it now, it's probably safe to say that while Jesus assumes we will fast, many, if not most of us, don't fast very much, if at all. And we probably don't really know what to think about fasting, how to process it. So we're going to pause from our treatment of Luke. We, it's our habit to move through books of the Bible, and so we've been moving through Luke. We're going to pause from our treatment of, of Luke in the order that it comes to address this topic this morning of fasting. And I'm going to do so by touching on a couple different passages, some of them very quickly, very briefly. If there's one that I'm going to spend a little more time in, it's Matthew chapter 6. So I'm going to read this one verse again from Luke, which is kind of our launching point. And then read Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. Then I'm going to make two general points about fasting, a negative and a positive point. The negative one, what fasting isn't, what we shouldn't be thinking about, what it's not about, negatively. And then positively, what it is about, what we should be thinking about, what what Christian fasting is. Those are going to be my, my two broad topical points this morning. As I said, I'll be hitting a few different verses Let me begin by reading a couple of them, Luke 5, 35, and then Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. 535, in the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Make two points, as I said. First, negatively, what fasting isn't, what we are not talking about. This is important because fasting is pervasive. It is in every culture and in every religious tradition across all of time. 
And it's done in lots of different ways by lots of different people for lots of different reasons. So it's easy to misunderstand and to think that we're all talking about the same thing. So first, in a basic way, not an exhaustive way, but in a, a basic way that should help us frame the topic, here's the negative point. True Christian fasting is not given to us to grow or show our own righteousness. True Christian fasting is not given to us to grow or to show our own righteousness. The scriptures are clear. Think of 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14, for instance. What we eat or don't eat does not commend us to God, 1 Corinthians 8. Food and eating is just not the issue. So we've got we to run in the negative direction here with resolve. It is not the issue. We are not made righteous. We are not made right, not made acceptable or more acceptable or more right in God's eyes by fasting or by feasting or by whatever else we may do. We stand righteous before God on account of one thing only, one thing alone. We stand righteous before God because Christ was perfectly righteous, sinless, and pure. He himself only, alone, was righteous. And at the cross, God worked a great exchange. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, last verse of that chapter says, at the cross, God worked a great exchange for our sake, for believers' sake. God made Christ to be sin though he knew no sin, though he was not a sinner, he was not sinful, God made Christ to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. There's an exchange there. At the cross, Christ's perfect righteousness comes onto us, and so we stand before God, righteous, pure, clean, never mind fasting. Regardless of fasting, or any other work. So fasting has nothing to do with our standing, our, con- our position before God. We stand in the position of righteousness before God. It doesn't help that happen to us. It, it is because of Christ. But furthermore, fasting isn't about growing our day-to-day righteousness either. Our standing before God is our position. Our day-to-day living out is our condition. And every one of us, every Christian, should want to grow in our conditional righteousness, our day-by-day righteousness, our sinning less, being more holy, whatever kind of word you want to use on that. Christians should want that. Christians should be about that. But true Christian fasting does not grow that. Not directly. Indirectly, as, as we fast, we will be changed people and we will mature, and so that may indirectly lead us around to, to sin less, but that's indirect. It's very easy for us to be, become kind of twisted a little bit off in our thinking and, and assume that it's a direct result that fasting or other behaviors or practices lead to a reduction in sin. Paul addresses this mindset several times in several places. The end of Colossians chapter 2 is a particularly clear place. 
You can jot that down and look at it later. But at the very end of Colossians chapter 2, among a list of man-made regulations, Paul includes, do not taste. Don't eat. Got a few other things in there. He includes it amongst a list of things that are about denial of the body, about hard treatment, about kind of subjecting yourself, of treating yourself harshly. And he puts that in there because the Christians are being lured into it. And, and if we look around at people, we see other religions do this a lot. You look at somebody and say, that's a holy person right there. Look how rigorous and how disciplined and how severe this person is in life. Rejecting all the pollution of the world and, and cutting himself off from this and that. And, and she's denying that and not partaking of this and keeping herself from the pollution and denying desires. And those people look like really holy ones. Paul acknowledges that they do look like holy, religious, devout people. But he concludes none of that is of any value in reducing the indulgence of the flesh, in reducing my sinning. Meaningless. Because that's all on the outside, and righteousness is an inside issue it's a heart issue it's not what's on the outside it's not even what's on the outside and comes into me it's what's in here and this doesn't touch it we have to address the heart if we are to grow in righteousness and only the gospel of grace does that as it holds up in front of our eyes what god has done for us the grace of god and it woos us it draws us to follow him and to turn away from sin which is why paul immediately colossians 2 is where he he rejects this among other things do not taste he rejects that at colossians 2 and then moves into chapter 3 and immediately turns the eyes of christians onto christ and what he has done in the fact that our bridegroom is coming for us again he doesn't use the word bridegroom there but he talks about christ coming set your minds on that that's how God grows in us day-to-day -day conditional righteousness. So we are not talking about fasting like many, 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 all other religions talk about fasting. As something that grows in us righteousness. It doesn't. Not in a grand judgment before God sense, not in a day-to-day -day lived out sense. So get, get rid of that idea. We are not holding up in front of ourselves some work that we perform and become better for it. We don't fast to grow and we don't fast to show our own righteousness. This is what brings us to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 16 there says, When you fast, do not look gloomy, do not disfigure your faces like the hypocrites do. They deliberately make themselves appear all pained and disheveled. Key sentence. That their fasting may be seen by others. So carefully, Jesus is not ruling out all forms of public fasting. It would be possible to to fast in public, it would be possible to fast with somebody else, like a spouse or a friend or a small group. He's not ruling out all public fasting. He's ruling out fasting for show. 
that it may be seen by others. They're in pursuit of a goal, being seen by others. Showing themselves to be fasting. Showing themselves to others, look how committed I am to God. There's the hypocrisy. I'm pretending to be about God, but really I'm about you, which means I'm really about me. I'm in pursuit of a goal, this hypocrite says. Your approval, your acclaim, man, your acceptance, your wow regard of me for my apparent devotion. That's hypocrisy. I'm showing I'm fasting to show that I'm fasting, that I'm a righteous person, that I'm something. Hypocrisy. But that's not really the point in the passage. Jesus kind of pokes something here, but he's not actually after the hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is wrong, of course. We don't want to be hypocrites. But the tragic situation the tragic situation that we want to avoid is not hypocrisy. The problem here is not hypocrisy is wrong. It shows up in what Jesus says. He says, not woe to them for their hypocrisy, but rather, he says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The hypocrite would hear that sentence and would say, great. And Jesus is trying to say to him, no, no, that, that's bad news. That's tragic news. You got what you were after, and only that tragically because you used fasting to show that you were righteous and you got what you were looking for everybody now knows you're a righteous person but you didn't get what fasting was really for and what you could have got what a tragedy you missed what fasting is supposed to be about the reward that you could have received a great reward, not the fleeting and empty praise of men, not the puffing up of self or the enhancing of our own reputation. Fasting is not on this level to, to show ourselves, or, or even if we, we, we sometimes twist a little bit and say, I want to fast to show that I'm fasting, to show what righteousness looks like, to inspire other people to pursue God also. Really, I'm trying to turn their eyes towards me. It, it's not on this level. So we are, we are not talking about something that we're going to publicize about ourselves, that we're going to hold out in front of other people, nor are we going to look down at other people. So you see somebody go out to eat at some restaurant after church today, that's fine. We're not going to look down on people for eating. We're not going to hold up people who seem to be fasting. It's not on this level. Fasting is not about growing our, or showing our own righteousness. So what is it about? 
And understand, that all that I just said, that has to be said and, and really understood because what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about what it positively is and you may be surprised to find yourself coming back around exactly to what I said we're not about. A little preview. At the end, I'm going to talk about maybe we could all select Wednesday in the daytime to fast. And watch what happens the first time you see somebody eating on Wednesday. You're going to come right back to this point. You really, you got you to get this. It's not for showing our righteousness or showing our unrighteousness. So if you see somebody eating on Wednesday, that does not mean they are righteous or an unrighteous person. You see them kind of skipping lunch, ooh, a holy man. No, 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 nothing to do with it. This is, it sounds so simple, but we get stuck in this very often. He's talking about fasting. I better get to fasting, and I better watch other people, see what they do about it. No, it's not about growing or showing our own righteousness. It isn't. Well, then what is it about? Okay, second point. Fasting is given to help us hunger for and receive the gospel's prize. Greater intimacy with our Father. Fasting is given to help us hunger for and receive the gospel's prize. Greater intimacy with our Father. And I could have put the word greater around receive or around intimacy to help us receive in a greater way to a greater degree because you already have the gospel's real. If you're a Christian, the gospel's already won something for you, intimacy with God, but we're talking about more to receive in a greater way, greater intimacy. Fasting is a help towards that end. Given as a gift. As we've mentioned before, and we see it here again in Matthew 6, Jesus assumes that we will fast. doesn't command it, he just assumes it. And we have to see fasting as something that we get to do, not have to do, something we get to do, a gift given to us by a wise God for us to use, a gift to us that helps us gain. It's a help to us, not to help make ourselves righteous, and it is a fast for our benefit, but not the benefit of other people claiming us. It's given to us to help us to benefit. Let's see that in the text. And look at the text to see where I'm getting that benefit. It's plain as day, I think. And then we'll try to understand how that might be. So after telling us to fast in a way that's not seen by others, verse 18, he says, but fast in a way so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. 
who exists in the secret and hidden places where others aren't. He's there. He sees you. He sees you fasting for His eyes only. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. End of the verse. There's the idea of getting a gift. A gift given to gain. Fasting leads to the Father rewarding. Now, be sure we understand, Jesus doesn't actually use the word reward in verse 18. He uses a verb about giving. That might change a little bit of how we think about what's, what's being said there. He uses a verb about giving, the kind of giving that matches a situation that's appropriate. It, it's a gift given in a right context. Your Father will give what matches. He will give what is fitting and right. Not in an obligatory sense, not in a mechanistic sense, he remains free. He does what he wants, when he wants. The verse isn't giving us a, a lever we pull to get something from God. It's just telling us about his disposition and his inclination in response to such fasting. He is favorably disposed and inclined to respond with an open hand giving to us. We fast in secret, and he is favorably disposed and inclined to respond with open hand, giving. That's what we're after in fasting, this right and fitting gift from our Father. And Jesus twice there calls him your Father. Not even the Father. Yours. One for you in the gospel. Consider this. This should not be. This, this, this shouldn't be. He is the Lord, the Lord, strong and mighty. Holy is his name. And we aren't. We are not holy. We are not righteous. But such is the mysterious beauty of the gospel. This new, this, this new time, this new covenant that we live under, as Jesus was teaching at the end of Luke 5, that God Almighty, in wisdom unknown and in power unthinkable, God became man for the purpose of, for the purpose of, not incidentally, deliberately God became man to go to the cross to take onto himself our sin, that exchange I was talking about earlier, to pay our penalty and to give us righteousness so that the result of that would be not just, you've got to think through what the gospel's about, not only, it doesn't end in that, therefore I'm righteous, or pick another word, Therefore, I'm now holy, or therefore, I, I'm forgiven. That's not the end of the gospel. That itself is for some other purpose. What is the purpose 
Why, why do I have to be made righteous? Why did God go through the process of incarnation, of God becoming man to go to the cross to take on himself sin, to forgive my sin? Why? Just so I could be forgiven? No. So that there would no longer be this gap, this separation, this distance between God and me, you, men and women. The gospel is not about legalities. The gospel is about relationship that are rooted in legalities indeed because of sin and righteousness and judgment. But God Almighty is pursuing relationship with you so that the, the Holy, Holy, Holy One can be your Father. Do you get that? It is glorious. It is beyond comprehension because He is and we are and He wants and so he made that happen. He himself stepped into the world to intervene in our wreckage and in our wretchedness to save and to open up the door and to say, my children, my son, my daughter, come here to me with all of your weaknesses and all of your burdens heavy laden. Come here to me. I'm yours, your Father in heaven. Come into my living room, come into my bedroom, come in to be with me. This is God Almighty, your Father, who turns now a smiling face towards you and eagerly welcomes you in and says, Come, I will give what is fitting and right. I'm the only one who sees this going on, and I will give to it. I will respond to you. You have to know that. You have to see that. You have to believe that. You come to him believing he will give what is right. Well, what is that? What is he going to give? Well, what are we talking about when we're talking about fasting? What's fasting expressing? What's fasting saying? Do you remember Luke 5.35? What's going on when a Christian fasts? Jesus said there would be fasting because the bridegroom, this beloved one. If you change that image that I was just talking about, Father, change it to bridegroom. The image Jesus uses Bridegroom, come and dearly beloved and taken away, absented from us. And Jesus said, when that happens, people who love their bridegroom, people who love their newlywed spouse will be grieved by that and will fast as an expression for a longing. The one that I love is absented from me, and I have tasted and seen that he is good, that he fits me, that he's what I need, and he's gone, and I want that to return. So Christian fasting is expressing a longing for more of God. And so right off, we should, we should suspect that when the Father gives in a way that is fitting or that matches fasting, that he would give in some way that enhances relationship with him, that, that restores some of that absenting, reverses it. So put simply, 
what our Father gives that matches or is a fitting response to our fasting is a greater experience of the closeness of Christ. A greater experience of God's nearness. And I'm talking about personally. Experience. Not just intellectual. So there is a whole bunch of intellectual truth, a whole bunch of theology that is, that is right and good for us to reflect on, to consider. The truth about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the truth about the, God's presence being open to us and inviting us to come in and ask Him for mercy and grace in time of need. Indeed, yes, truth. And then there's experience of that truth. That's what I'm talking about. He will give the experience of that truth in a greater degree. Put simply, that's what the Father gives that matches. But there's a little more to it than that. It's a little more complicated, not in a confusing way, but a few more pieces in this. Because if that's all there is, then that's very similar to just prayer. be hard to delineate the two. If, if that's all there is, there's something different, though, that's the purpose behind fasting. There's more focus in fasting, yes. It, it might be, a, I mean, a little more effort involved, a little more, like, mental focus because we got to do something else, indeed. But if, if we just left it only like that, it would be kind of like asking God for a greater experience of God and him saying yes to it, which is just a lot like prayer. Fasting is something else. Something that's uniquely helpful, the reason why God would give fasting also. Fasting and prayer. When we get at that little more, that something extra, by considering this following reality and I alluded to it earlier already in in my prayer if we're honest we don't long for Christ we don't long for intimacy with God long for the fullness of God's presence not nearly as much as we should I don't mean never. I mean not nearly as much as we should. We are often far too full with everything else to notice that anything is lacking. We're like an 18-year-old gone off to college and finding life suddenly full of classes and labs and homework and research and campus exploration, and parties, and social events, and new friends, and part-time jobs, and exciting football games, and, and, and forgetting and never realizing that for weeks now she hasn't spoken to her parents or her siblings at home. The people on earth who love her more than anybody that she spent any time with. 
who know her most deeply and care about her and are thinking about her and longing for her and missing her, and from her own perspective, the people that she is closest to and cares most about also. Forgotten all of that. Her life is too full of substitutes, of lesser goods to perceive what she's missing. So to us. Our appetite for God is too often covered over with other substitute appetites and then satiated. We hunger for relationship and rest and love and joyous laughter, significance and purpose and peace meaning and wholeness, the shalom of God, supplanted by a sweet American lifestyle with friends and jobs and games and hobbies and amusements and politics and drink and food of any and every variety, the world without end, amen. And filled up with all of that, we grow empty. Filled up with all of that, we grow empty. And we shrivel. And I'm going to be very clear. I need to be very, very clear here. I am not talking about sinful things. Not in the idea of the 18-year-old going to college, not in, in our partaking and interacting with the world. I'm not talking about sinful things at all. In each of those categories, you could find sinful things, in all of them, I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about sinful friends or sinful jobs or sinful hobbies. I'm, that's not the point. Good things are in view here. Good things. Good gifts also given by our Father. Things that are to be received, as the scripture says, with thanksgiving and therefore are a praise to him and a joy to us. Good things. But all of them, brothers and sisters, men and women, all of them present a ready danger to us. To those of us who read Psalm 27, for example, you can look in a bunch of places, I mean, you can look all over the place, but Psalm 27 is a great one. Those things, all those good things, all those good gifts from God present to us a ready danger if and when we read Psalm 27 and see there a wonder, a treasure won for us in the gospel. The psalmist in Psalm 27 longs for something that for us now is possible, for us now is, is reality, but not as full as it could be and as it will be. He longs for something that we can have more and more of day by day. He says, one thing I ask of you, Lord, this will I seek after, one thing, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of you in your temple. 
to come into your house, to sit in front of you and look, to behold you in all of your wonder and splendor, to talk to you and to see. That's the one thing I want, the one thing I will seek after. We are indeed to treasure God in the many good things that He gives, to treasure God in the many good things that He gives, the many things He gives us to appreciate the goodness of Him Himself. We are to treasure God in the many good things He gives, but among the many good things He gives, among His good gifts, is the gift of fasting to provide opportunity for us to set aside for a time, some of the other good things that get in the way of the one thing. The one thing for which your soul was made and upon which you feast that will be your satisfaction and your joy. If you believe that your Father gives to you good and fitting things, gives to you Himself, you will seek after this one thing. One for us, W-O-N, one for us in the gospel intimacy with God Himself so sweet and so easily drowned out or crowded out by our wandering and easily distracted hearts as we interact with the world. He gave us fasting, unique from just prayer, as a way to help us hunger by deliberately setting aside some of the other good things that are so important and so attractive to us and so good. Really, I mean it, really, I am not denigrating the good gifts that God gives us. But we are meant to, through those good gifts, find the goodness of God. And when we fast, sometimes we discover something about ourselves, that I'm not as God-centered in my enjoyment of His gifts as I thought I was. So that again. I find I'm not as God-centered in the enjoyment of His gifts as I thought I was. I don't go here to his gift and praise him. I go here to his gift and stop. And I discover that when that's removed and I'm left like this. Now what? Oh, I guess it wasn't actually turning my face back towards him. I don't discover that until that's taken away. Sometimes he takes those things away from us through hardships in life. Fasting is a gift where we can do that deliberately, intentionally, to set aside that which may distract us. At a core level, food, it is no accident. It is, it is no accident that we use the word hunger to describe strong longings, like the longing for food. When we hunger for something, we feel like we need it and we can't live without it. It's true for food and it's true for God. Both those things. True for food and true for God. And sometimes God graciously gives us opportunity to set aside food 
We'll talk about some other things here in a minute. To set aside food, this core need to discover and to grow in hungering for him himself. How does that work? Well, it's part, of it, part of it's mysterious. Part of it is mysteriously tied to the fact that we are spirit body beings. So part of it I have to say, I don't know how that works. But part of it, I do know how that works. You probably do too if you think about it. You remove distractions. You find a unique focus in life on what's left. You remove distractions and you find, oh, I was leaning on that more than I realized. I remove the distraction of food and I find, maybe you find, that was much more closely tied to my contentedness and my restfulness than I realized. I find myself throughout the day, you, you find yourself throughout the day looking forward to the next coffee break, looking forward to the next snack, and then you realize, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing that today. Now what? I can't wait to go to dinner with not doing that today. Now what? I could really go for a bowl of ice cream or a beer. Did I say beer? I meant water. <laughs> I'm not doing that today. Now what? I have this interesting discovery goes on. I have the one who fills my heart. And I'm restless. Huh. You're telling me something, aren't you? You're teaching me something, aren't you? I find also, I fast, and I, I discover very quickly my frailty and my weakness. I'm not talking about like low blood sugar weakness. That, that happens too. But I'm talking about I feel weak pretty quickly. I'm not as strong as I thought it was. I go without food for just a short little while. I feel like I like gained 15 years of age. I don't have any strength left. I thought I was mighty. I thought I was strong. I thought I was invincible. Skip a couple of meals. Nope. I hunger after food and I hunger after satisfaction in, in snacks and in, in drinks and in and God in all of that speaks to me and others, speaking, pointing out something. This is how you are to feel about me. This is a lesson. I, I, I created all of this to teach you that's what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to hunger and thirst for Christ. That kind of intensity, that kind of longing, that kind of need you can have and you can know and I would fill. If it would grow in you, this gap, I would fill it. Now, I've been talking about food there, perhaps for medical reasons or life stage reasons. Maybe you're a nursing mom. Maybe you're in a, in a heavy uh, medical regime or, or uh, you're working out all the time for sports or something like that and you can't physically not eat, then find something else. Find something else that is the substitute that you run to. And fast from that. 
to hunger for God. God provides fasting as a way of kind of clearing the decks of distraction and hindrance to free us from substitute saviors and fillers. To actually sense the one thing I need is you. I am a frail person who has my heart hitched to the next meal and dessert afterwards and Lord, in the moment that that's gone, I find I need something. I need you. One thing to be satisfied now in this moment, would you fill up my heart? And your Father in heaven says, I will. So ask him. Maybe you want to decide to incorporate this into your life right now. You don't need to make a big deal of it. Don't publicize it. And I'm just picking a day of a week, day of the week, so you may go with another day and remember everything I said earlier about judging other people and looking at them. But how about Wednesday? Eat breakfast. Don't eat again until dinner. Drink water in between. And don't spend 30 minutes at lunch surfing the internet. Don't kill the time. Just take that opportunity to go to a private place, go into secret where your father is, and ask him to draw near to you in a special and personal way to show you, to show the eyes of your heart, Christ. Ask him to personally revive you And then maybe other things come to mind too, perhaps repentance or perhaps prayer for revival for your family or for the church. Perhaps you've got questions you need to ask him. When we fast and when we approach him and he draws near to us, other things happen. Maybe as we are more conformed to Christ and we see him more clearly, we do indirectly end up sinning less. Or maybe a question that we've been wondering about and asking comes clear to us. We see an example of that in Acts chapter 13 when while fasting and praying, the Spirit spoke to the church, send out Paul and Barnabas while fasting and praying. God came near and spoke. Maybe that would happen to you. God may answer any number of needs and requests. He remains free. We approach him in faith and in fasting utilizing the help he has given us to remove distraction for time so as to heighten our hunger for and then to receive in greater degree the prize of the gospel itself, intimacy with God. Fasting is given to us not to show off our righteousness, not to grow our righteousness, but to attain in greater degree the prize of the gospel, God himself. Let me pray. Father, you are a good and kind God to do everything necessary to make us yours and to make you ours. You've done that. So we say thank you. And we also acknowledge that we want more of you, and we want to want more of you. 
And so help us, Lord, grow us and mature us. And if fasting is to play a role in that in in particular people's lives or in our church's life as a whole, would you now speak to people and lead us in that? You be Lord of us, Lord. And keep us from subtle manipulation and groupthink. Keep us from something wrong and be Lord of us. Build your church, I pray. and Continue to meet with us now as we move towards communion. Would you be honored here in our midst? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.